reading uh, the chapter from Haggai and reading a portion of the chapter from Ezra helps to put our text or or verses of our text which is chapter 1 verses 12 to 15 into the wider context. The people had returned from their captivity originally the Babylonian captivity but then the Medes and the Persians took over and the people were released to go home and build the temple or rebuild the temple and they started on to that and then their work stopped as we saw in Ezra the people came and challenged them and caused trouble and took petitions to the kings they were a bit slow to um, reply to say we were sent home for this purpose King Cyrus let us go and told us to build a temple or rebuild the temple but they took the discouragements and they stopped building now partly we can understand can't we what that must have been like we weren't in that situation but we understand the constant pressure and the attacks and the the hindrances and the the, anything that can be done to stop the work of the Lord being done things don't change methods change circumstances change the principles are still there we are still being attacked and we are still being discouraged and we are still being hindered But then really, what happened to the people? They got comfortable in in their situation. They were happy in their houses. Their houses were fine. They were building and they were doing okay. Do we need to get to the temple again? We've managed this far without it. They got comfortable. Do we want to stir up these people against us again? They were happy in, in what they were doing. And again, we have to look at ourselves. Is that true of us? Are we comfortable? Have we settled into our routine? Then, through the prophet Haggai, the people were told twice in quick succession, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. And then he lists a series of disasters that have befallen them and clearly links that to the fact that they have not been faithful to God. You've sown much, you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you don't have your fill. You're clothed, but you're not warm. You earn wages and you lose it. Why? Because of mine house, that is waste. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I've called a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn, upon the new wine. And upon all the labours of your hands. Consider your ways. Look at what is happening to you because of your neglect of your service. And that is where we left the people. 
they were told to consider their ways. And we looked at their, them considering the speaker, the Lord of hosts. This grand title, the God in charge of the hosts of the earth, the hosts of the heavens, the hosts of the armies, the hosts of the skies. Everything, just again a title to get us to think about the magnitude of God. And this is the God who was speaking to them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then we considered their ways and said that they had been casual, they had been careless, they had been slack. They had prioritised themselves over themselves over God. And then we considered the consequences. Their land was a drought. The land was in famine. Their, the works of their hands were failing. How is that with us? The land is prosperous. The grass is green. But how is it with us? How are the labours of our hands? How are our spiritual our, our spiritual labours? How is our spiritual harvest? Consider your ways. So what today we're going to do as we look at verses 12 to 15, <clears throat> and you'll notice a marked change. And that is quite simply because the people considered their ways. And then they responded accordingly. And this is a great challenge and an example to us. We're going to look very briefly at four things that they did. They firstly, and we'll we'll see these as we read through these verses, they obeyed the word of God. <coughs> Secondly, they feared the Lord. Thirdly, they trusted in the Lord. And then lastly, they were stirred up for the Lord. And we'll see these things in verses 12 through to 15. Consider your ways. I have withheld blessings from you. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of Israel, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. Consider your ways. Think about what you have done. Think about the land that you are in. Think about the spiritual state of the nation and yourselves. Consider your ways. Then the people obeyed. We can see two examples of that just to confirm and to reiterate. They read that all the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. So they obeyed the voice of God and the words of Haggai the prophet. Now whether they heard the voice of God separately, we don't clearly know, or whether they heard the voice of God through the voice of Haggai, which I think is probably the more likely of the two. But there's two Phrases used, they obeyed the voice of the Lord and they obeyed the words of Haggai, the prophet. Now, those two separate phrases were not in contradiction. The voice of the Lord would not say one thing and then the words of Haggai say something different. The voice of the Lord and the words of Haggai would be exactly the same. Haggai was speaking the words of God. 
And that's an important thing to note. We don't hear the Lord speaking to us in an audible voice. We don't have prophets sent to explain the will of God to us. We have something that uh, the Old Testament and even the New Testament saints did not have. We have the completed scriptures. So when we read the scriptures, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Given by inspiration of God, God breathed, God's creation, God's words. The scripture is God's words. So we should be like the Bereans, search the scriptures daily with readiness of heart to see if these things be so. So if I preach from here, or if Glenn preaches from here, or if somebody else preaches from here, or somebody else is talking to you in the week and tells you something about God that is not the same as the scriptures, they are not speaking the words of God. What we must do is always take the word as our source. This is what God has given to us. Now, why could the people be so sure that Haggai was speaking the words of God? He would have been given the authority in the words that he spoke. They would recognize the godly authority in him. And the words that he spoke were consistent with what they knew or knew already. So they were consistent with what they knew God had already told them. They had originally been sent home to build the temple. They were not building the temple. A man of God comes and tells them, why aren't you doing this? This is what you came home to do. So there was consistency with what was spoken, with what God had said. And there was authority. They were, he was speaking as if he was God. Now they obeyed the word of God. Verse 12, if we look at that again, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who we, who we know from previous um, mention, was governor of Judah. And Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. So we have the governor and we have the high priest with all the remnants of the people, the governor, the high priest, the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. So we have a wholesale obedience. We have a national obedience to God from the very top, the governor, the head of the political world, the head of the religious world, and everybody in between and everybody included obeyed the voice of the Lord and the words of the prophets. So this was not just a small pocket of people returning. This was wholesale repentance. Can you imagine society today repenting on such a scale? The church repenting and reforming. The nation, the political leaders repenting and reforming. And all of the people in between repenting 
and reforming. God is still the same God. The God of Haggai, the God of uh, Ezra is the same God today. And he can do these things. We see it in examples, don't we, in, in, in revivals in the highlands of Scotland, in Northern Ireland, in, in, in different places. And we, we, we still read and like to be encouraged by these um, outpourings. The Lord is able to work and he can work again. They obeyed the word of the Lord. Now, go back to verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month and in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. So the first day of the sixth month, Haggai spoke to the people. The chapter concludes in the fourth and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So from day one of the month to day 24 of the month, the people had repented, reformed themselves and had actually started to work on building the temple. Now, if anybody's ever undertaken a building project, and I'm speaking from absolutely no experience here, you just do not go on day one and start building. You would have no materials, you'd have no plans. So within a very short time scale, they gathered the materials that have probably been neglected and laying waste um, or gone and got them as they were told in verse 8 into the mountain and bring the wood and build the house. They'd make their plans or review the plans and designs of the temple and begin and allocate tasks. So within 23 days or 24 days from having this challenge put to them, they started to build the work that's a very swift obedience and that's how obedience should be we're not obedient when it's it's suitable if we are called to do something we are called to do something so we must learn and be challenged by this example their instant obedience how instant are we in our obedience yes i should do that i'll do it tomorrow they obeyed the word of God. Verse 12 concludes after that that they had obeyed the word of the God and Haggai the prophet as he had been sent and the people did fear before the Lord. It's funny that we were looking at this the other week in um, the midweek meeting uh, fear of the Lord. So it's not a fear as you might see in some instances that in sort of brings people to a point of paralysis where they're frozen, they can't act, they can't think, they can't, they don't know what to do. They're that afraid. It's a fear, it's a reverence, a respect, and there will be a, a, a hint of fear, but not an overbearing fear. It is more a reverence and a respect and a complete appreciation for who God is. It was helpful to have read Ezra chapter 4 earlier on because when when the challenge is put to them and they'd actually rightly said because these were the enemies, the adversaries they're described of who wanted to help them build the temple. Why would your adversaries want to help you 
if it wasn't for mischievous purposes. So they rightly said, no, we are God's chosen people. We will build God's temple. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even unto the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And there were opponents round about them also, telling them they're not to do it, and they feared the people and they feared the kings, so they stopped. They were fearing the wrong people. They were fearing the nations. They were fearing the people of the land. They were fearing the kings of the surrounding kingdoms. They were not fearing the Lord. Consider your ways. The challenge was put to them and the fear shifted in the right direction. Their fear was towards fearing the Lord. It's very interesting that phrase, the fear of the Lord, and you can find a number of examples in the Old Testament, especially through Psalms and Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not wisdom, it's the beginning of wisdom. You need to keep working on these things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. God of Jacob is our refuge. So the fear of the Lord, if we have a reverence, a respect and a fear for God, we will seek to understand him more. We will seek to know more of him. And the more we know of him is that is what real knowledge is. It's a knowledge of God. Everything else is secondary to a knowledge of God. It's how everything fits into uh, our, our understanding of God. True wisdom sort of a practical application, in a sense, of knowledge. For true wisdom is to know God. The more we know God, the more we will act out our lives in a practical way that is honouring and pleasing to him. This was an interesting one. To fear the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. It makes sense when you think of it. If you truly fear God, you will hate evil and pride, which is in ourselves. We will hate ourselves. We will want to be empty of ourselves and all for him. We want to be full of our of holiness. We will want to shun evil. But we won't do that, and we don't do that, if we don't fear the Lord, if we don't reverence the Lord. But we won't fear the Lord if we don't obey his word, 
if we don't know his word, if we don't read the scriptures, if we don't understand the scriptures, how can we fear the Lord? This is how the Lord reveals himself to us primarily through his word. So the people obeyed the word of God. They feared the Lord, not man. And this is the big the big shift. They stopped fearing man. They started to fear the Lord and carried on with the work. The title that is used at the outset there um, of this chapter repeatedly when the challenge is being put to them, the warning, the, 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 the challenge to consider their ways is the Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts. Once they start to fear the Lord, he becomes the Lord your God. It's interesting how the terminology changes. We still have one more Lord of hosts here. But the, the general tone has changed from the Lord of hosts to the Lord your God because you are in subjection to him and you are obedient to him and he has drawn to you again. They obeyed the word of God. They feared the Lord. They trusted in the Lord. Verse 13, then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. What more could they ask for? You came home to do a work. Consider your ways. Don't fear these people. Don't worry about the nations. I am with you. What an encouragement that is. And that encouragement is still with us today. If ever we are called out to do anything in the Lord's name, he is with us. We do not go out alone. He is with us. They would have had, even knowing that phrase, would have given them encouragement because it's repeated throughout scripture. The pattern is so uh, regular. I've just drawn three examples of three famous men. Jacob, after he was told to go back to Canaan, was frightened about his brother and what his brother would do to him. But he was told, go back, I am with you. So Jacob went back to Canaan. Moses, when he was at the burning bush, and the Lord spoke to him, told him to go back to Egypt. I am with you. You go, I am with you. I will protect you. Same phrase, I am with you. So Jacob was going back to Canaan. Moses was going back to Egypt. Joshua was going to take over from Moses and he was going forward into the promised land. Did he go alone? No, as I was with Moses, mm -hmm. so I will be with you. You saw how I protected you and led you with Moses. You saw how I protected you when you went into the promised land to spy out the land. Go, possess the land. I am with you. So what did Jacob do? Because the Lord was with him, he went back. What did Moses do? Because the Lord was with him, he went back. What did Joshua do? Because the Lord was with him, he went forward and into the promised land. What did the people here do? What did the nation of um, Israel do? They started going back to work. 
In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month in the second year, they started to build the temple. They trusted in the Lord. The Lord had blessed them on accounts throughout history. The Lord would bless them now because they were doing his work. Had he blessed them when they were resting and in their comfort and in their ease? No. Will he bless them when they face probable trials and difficulties and physical labour? Yes, because they are doing his work for his glory. They trusted in the Lord. Verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So the Lord stirred up the people, or the people were stirred up for the Lord. Notice how it's worded there, and the, and the Lord stirred up the spirit. The spirit within them was stirred up. Now, who can generate and stir up the spirit within us? It is God alone. But notice the order of the events as they happened. They obeyed the word of God. They feared the Lord. And they trusted in the Lord. And then their spirit was stirred to go and work. How is it with us? Is our spirit stirred up to serve the Lord? Well, maybe we need to follow the example of the people here and Zerubbabel and Joshua. Obey the word of the Lord. The order is not accidental. We need to understand the order we need to obey the word of God. We need to submit to the word of God. We need to fear the Lord. We need to submit to the Lord. We need to trust in the Lord. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what this evening will bring. We don't know what the rest of this year will bring. We can commit it to the Lord. And we can ask the Lord for his help, for his enabling. Then he stirred them up. Then they worked. And so it is with us, you know, even in pockets of time, you know that the closer you are to the Lord, the more stirred up and spirited you are for his work. Compare that to their comfort. They are stirred up, but they were settled and they were at ease and they were stagnating. They were um, backsliding, but they are now called and they have a zeal. They are stirred up for the Lord because the Lord has worked in their hearts. And so it should be with us that if we study the scriptures, if we fear the Lord, have a true reverence and respect for him and trust in him completely, then he will take us and he will use us as he sees fit. And we will repeat what we said of verse 1 and verse 15. They were stirred up to the point that from day one, when they had this challenge put to them, to day 24, work had started. They were a, a zeal to serve the Lord. We've criticised them in, in verses 1 to 11. Now we must 
uh, commend them in verses 12 to 15. And we must take this example for ourselves. Are we stirred up for the Lord? Two things stood out to, to me just overviewing this chapter. There's the firstly, there is the rebuke. And secondly, there is their obedience to the word of God. Consider your ways, was the rebuke. That must have cut them to the quick. It really must. Consider your ways. It was repeated. It's that serious. Two verses later. Does it take a rebuke of that nature to get us to do anything? Do we need to be challenged? Do we need to be rebuked for our apathy or lethargy? But the rebuke worked. They took the rebuke, as have many through scripture. Most notably, I'm thinking of David after um, he was challenged by the prophet Nathan. He repented and confessed all before God. But also there is the obedience to the word. Can we get by with just the obedience to the word of God without having to be rebuked? Oh, how precious that would be if we didn't need to be rebuked ever. But we could just comfortably go through our lives because we were that close to the Lord. We were that obedient to, to the word. But oftentimes we need the rebuke to bring us, to correct us. But we must always be obedient to the word of God. And we must respond in an appropriate time. It's a challenge for us. The situation, the circumstances are completely different to today. The principles behind it are exactly the same. The world will try what it can to stop us from proclaiming the name of the Lord. The world will try and prevent us from doing the Lord's work. How easy is it to, how easily do we give in? How often do we step back? Oh, there's opposition there, I can't do that. Consider our ways. Obey the word of the Lord. Trust the Lord. And he will bless us. He will strengthen us. He will equip us. He will give us everything we need. But if we fear the Lord, if we have this respect for him, a true understanding and appreciation of who God is, then we will more naturally obey the word because we see what a great and mighty God has given it. We need to remember also that the most important form of obedience to the word of God is to believe in Jesus Christ. We must believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to offer himself in our place and for our sins. That is the whole message that the Old Testament points forward to and the, Old, and the New Testament preaches and teaches and explains that Jesus Christ alone is our way of salvation. Be obedient to the word of God. Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess your sins. Because we've seen throughout history that we all sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. So may we confess our sins. May we look to Jesus Christ. And may we say sorry for all that we have done wrong and ask him to be our Lord and our Saviour. Bless us as we go home, we do pray. Heavenly Father.
and guide us through the rest of this day. Amen.